listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, Lakers fans, recording this just ahead of the Friday night matchup at Staples Center against the Pelicans. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can pretty much catch us anywhere you get your fix, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it, we are there. And of course, check out silverscreenandroll.com for all your Lakers needs. Joining me for the pod is ESPN LA's and as well as ESPN's George Sedano. You can catch him on the Sedano and LZ show in the afternoons on ESPN LA 710. Uh, also, national reporter with ESPN, hops on around the horn from time to time, basically does it all. George, what's going on, my man? Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. I'm good. Hope you and yours are well. Yeah, there's probably not a show at ESPN that I don't touch in some way, shape, or form. So uh, they, they keep me busy, and I like it that way. Well, it's, it's probably a testament to how talented you are as well. That's me kissing up with some brownie points right now. So there you go. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know if it has anything to do with that other than I definitely like to work a lot. So I don't know what that says about me. But uh, are you okay? Are you and your family okay and healthy and safe? Well, I'm okay. I mean, I've been here uh, pretty much on my own since the, the coronavirus started. But I mean, I, I've been, I've, my family's doing good. You know, thank goodness I got uh, my, my parents are, are elderly and, and, and my grandma's still around. So uh, they're holding up okay back in Canada. But overall... I mean, you know, once they came out with the vaccine news, I was kind of like, well, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know when we're going to get closer to it, but I, at least we're on our way at some point here. Yeah, I'm hopeful too, man. Hopefully that will happen sooner rather than later for sure. Yeah, well, I think everybody is, is kind of ready to 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 move on from the craziness of, of what was 2020 has bled into 2021 now. Uh, you'll be you'll be working with uh, you'll be you'll be covering the game as a sideline reporter. You did for the for the Pelicans loss against the Clippers on Wednesday. Now you'll be you'll be covering the Lakers and uh, and Pelicans at uh, at Staples again coming up. Like I mentioned on on Friday night, uh, the big news obviously Zion Williamson looks like it was an inconclusive test in, in regards to the uh, COVID nineteen protocols. Uh, nobody else on the team. Uh, you were talking a bit before we started rolling here that nobody else on the team has has tested positive. Um, what what are we looking at for Zion's availability if if things could go either way here with this? So um, this is what my report was last night. Um, and to my knowledge, nothing has changed yet. Um, as of the recording of this podcast at around 11 a.m. Pacific time on Thursday. So the reporting was that Zion had the inconclusive test, as our Andrew Lopez reported. And then I spoke to the Pelicans, as you and I talked about off the air, you just mentioned. Um, and they mentioned to me that no one else on their traveling party was uh, positive. Um, so, you know, again, not to draw any conclusions from that, but the I idea is that's why they needed to retest him, um, because he hasn't been around anyone. They have been very diligent in what they've been doing. Um, so they, uh, had an inconclusive result. So they felt they needed to do a new PCR test. That result was supposed to come back today. Uh, they thought ideally in the morning. Um, but again, the, you know, a lot of this stuff is, uh, you know, not exact in regards to, you know, returning stuff from a lab and getting results from a lab. Some, and I can attest to this as someone who has to do home test kits all the time to be able to walk into an NBA arena and ship it off via Federal Express or UPS, um, you know, to, to get my results back as quickly as possible. Like, I, I understand what these teams are going through personally, because I deal with it uh, on a smaller level um, myself. But the reality is this, if he tests negative, if the second test comes back negative, then he should be able to go on Friday against the Lakers and everything will be okay. Um, in theory, right? 
Um, if he tests positive, then the team will have to go into their contact tracing protocols, uh, which means they will have to uh, see who he came in close contact with and then figure out from there who could be available for that game on Friday. When you're looking at, at the league as a whole, and you mentioned, you know, having to go through this yourself with, with work and, and trying to enter the NBA arena, which obviously they're, they're following, you know, the strictest guidelines. I really think they can. Do you think the players are getting, I, I mean, I know it's only you know, 10 games into the season, roughly or 13, 14 games into the season, but do you think they're starting to get, is it irritating for them at all to have to go through this or are they kind of accepting to, cause we saw George Hill go off about, Hey man, like if I can't go see my family, you know, if it's not safe, why are we playing? Do you think there, what do you think the majority of the sentiment is among the players in the NBA having to go through this right now? So um, I think it's mixed like anything else, right? <laughs> I, I don't think that there is some sort of um, overwhelming majority uh, in any way, shape or form. People have different opinions, even people who have like opinions, right? Who may be close to a majority, if not a majority may have different nuances to the, um, things that they object to or that they uh, or, or that or that they're okay with right like I think that there's so many different variations of this discussion but ultimately here's what I would say um, players and the players association and the league collectively bargained to play this way and much like they've always done right like the, and this was the plan going into the bubble too now granted the bubble was a different situation it was far more secure understandably so but the plan for the nba is always to be nimble right and understanding that the virus uh, doesn't discriminate that you can you know, things can change quickly and you have to be able to change course quickly so the protocols that were put in place prior to the changes here this week were put in place because they were collectively bargained by the players association and the league so the other two options other than what just transpired you know in regards to the actual changes and being more strict, right? The other two options are go back into a bubble, which I don't think very many players, if any, want to do, or not play the season, lose billions of dollars, including the players, right? Yeah. Um, people losing jobs in, you know, I, you know, I'm talking about in upwards of several thousand people potentially losing their jobs, right? I mean, you know, at the, at the worst, uh, at the least several hundred, right? Which is still not good. Um, so those are the two options here, you know? Uh, so they decided to go forward with it. They created a schedule where they only have the first half at the moment, as we've all seen. And they give themselves some leeway in the second half to make up these postponements. And hopefully, as you and I just discussed to start this podcast, even before we got into basketball, although we're not really talking basketball, <laughs> obviously. Um, but the hope is the vaccine situation becomes more abundant, right? And that things start progressing in a way where it allows them to get these games uh, done in the second half in the quickest way possible to allow them to get to a playoff, to allow them to get to the finals before the players want to go and play in the Olympics, right? So yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of room, but also not a lot of room, if you know what I mean. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's some wiggle room, but you know, it's a lot in theory, but it can shrink very quickly. Oh, <laughs> depending yeah. Depending on how many more postponements you have. 
hence why they decided to change course on some of these protocols that they had in place and make it far more strict and, and, and restrictive. And they, everyone had to agree to this, um, both the first time and now uh, at this point. And when you are part of a union, that's the way this works. And it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be people that oppose it, like, you know, George Hill, perhaps. Um, and again, George Hill, Damian Lillard, or whoever was talking about this over the last couple of days has every right to feel the way they feel, Jess. But um, again, when you're part of a union, this stuff gets collectively bargained and, and the decisions are made for the collective. Well, and, that, and that's the thing. And, and I've seen, you know, some stuff on, on social media and, and people online being like, you know, if there is, you know, we saw what's happened with, with the Wizards and the Celtics and, you know, games are getting postponed and, and the Suns now uh, with the contract tasting policies. But then, you know, the argument is, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? It's like, well, this is a completely different beast than the NFL, right? NBA teams are playing three or four times a week. They're, mm -hmm. they're you know, they're, they have to travel more. Whereas yep. in the NFL, you had, hey, we're going to play once a week if we can. We're not really selling tickets at this point. So if you want to come on a Tuesday afternoon and watch a game, by all means, you can. So I think there was a little bit more wiggle room, like you were saying, too, with, with the with the NFL compared to the NBA. And I think that's going to be and I could see that these guys are frustrated. I think everybody in the world. I mean, look, we're, we're still alive. We haven't been affected in terms of, you know, uh, in a, on a on a it, for me, I'll, I'll speak for myself individually. I haven't been affected by, you know, the, the, the virus per personally, but obviously hundreds of thousands of Americans have, have lost their lives to this and on a global scale. So, I mean, we're comparing, we're, we're complaining about little things, but I, I just think it's going to be interesting how the NBA is, is going to, to do this for a sustained period. I mean, we're only in what really still under a month before the season tipped off. So it, it will be fun to see, but I, I want to jump back into some, some of the stuff with the, with the Lakers. I mean, and they've been lucky in terms of not having to deal with anything with the coronavirus. Uh, coming out, they just put a beat down on uh, on on the uh, OKC Thunder on on Wednesday night, one twenty eight ninety nine, uh, ten and three right now. The Lakers are one eight of their last nine, um, do dominating without looking like they're really trying. Now, mind you, eight of their last nine games, I've, I've mentioned that they won, um, not beating exactly high end championship level competition. Their, their schedule will start to get a little bit tougher. Uh, coming up as we get towards into February, but what what are you making about about the Lakers so far? Is it is it just going to be like a hey we're they're kind of cruising and they're still sitting ten and three? Is this what you're expecting to see, or do you think they're going to get to another gear here uh, as the season kind of wears on? Well, let me start with the stuff you mentioned about how well they've done with their own uh, in-house protocols. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that, and I know that there's a lot of yammering about different states handling it different ways. And particularly uh, some people not happy with the way the state of California has handled things. But I do think a lot of that is because of the protocols in place or the rules in place in the state of California. Right. Um, I had this conversation to personalize it a little bit with my wife when they made those changes, of, you know, whatever it was now, a month or two ago um, to, you know, stay at home orders, uh, you know, during certain times, et cetera, et cetera. And my wife and I looked at each other and said, eh. No big deal for us. We don't leave other than for essentials uh, or the occasional situation where I have to go to work anyway. You know what I mean? So it doesn't affect us. And LeBron basically said the same thing the other day. You know what I mean? When asked yeah. about why the Lakers have done such a good job with it. And he's like, you know, there's not much we can do in regards to um, where we live. Right. And that has benefited us is basically what he was saying. And that is the case. If you look at some of these teams that are being most affected, um, now, granted, some of it is by um, the transitive property, right? They have encountered other teams in other states that uh, while they've played them and then caught it that way, right? Like, 
And this thing doesn't discriminate, as I mentioned earlier, right? So, uh, but I do think that part of it for the Lakers and even the Clippers, right? You know, the Warriors, uh, I know that uh, there was some positives before the season started, before players arrived at camp. But since then, we haven't seen that either. Same with Sacramento. And I think a lot of that is just where you live. Um, as far as how well they're playing, it's funny. I mentioned this on the radio show um, really the almost every day, like kind of jokingly, like, you know, <laughs> they are a team that is both trying to figure it out and kind of coasting at the same time. It, it is kind of strange to see, but I think when you have a team that has championship experience and obviously LeBron has plenty of it, but now Anthony Davis has it and a bunch of those role players have it and their coaching staff has it. And I think that stuff pays dividends, man. So you have a group of new guys coming in, some who have won championships like a Marcus Gasol and other guys who are hungry as hell, you know, like a Montrez Harrell or a Dennis Schroeder or Wes Matthews or whatever. So it's just a perfect combination of, you know, guys who've been through it and guys who desperately want to go through it. Right. So I think that plays a factor in all of it from the protocols to their play. Um, and I think that when I say coasting, I say it because, to your point, they know who's on the schedule. They, they beat them down, and then they can kind of relax a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like they're, you know, outside of the Chicago game, I guess. And by the way, Chicago did that thing to them last year, too, if you remember, in yeah, Chicago. Right. Yeah. Um, so, for whatever reason, sometimes it's just a weird matchup, right? Um, but outside of that Chicago game, for the most part – right? The games they've won, they've won going away, right? Like, it, it, you know, and, and that's the scary part if you're the rest of the NBA. Now, look, in any NBA season or any season in, in any sport, there's going to be ebbs and flows, right? But especially if the season is longer, like in basketball, you're going to have moments where injuries rise up, right? Or guys are just hitting a slump or whatever. And, you know, you're going to lose some games. That's the way it's going to work. The Lakers aren't going to go, um, you know, 69 and three, right? Like that, that's not going to happen, <laughs> um, you know, and that's fine. <laughs> so um, I, I do think they'll be the best team in the West. And I think that they're going to win the championship again, barring a catastrophic injury to Anthony Davis or LeBron. Um, and by the way, even honestly, catastrophic injury to LeBron is what I would say, because even if it's AD, I still feel like LeBron is, even at this stage of his career, still good enough to potentially win you a championship. So um, to wrap it up, because I know you want to jump in, um, I have been pleasantly surprised at how they've been able to manage all of it, uh, everything that I just kind of laid out there. And I think it bodes well for them moving forward. Oh, yeah. And I, I did. I was just going to say LeBron was right on one thing. There's nothing to do because a Friday night going to Whole Foods now feels like I'm going to a night out in, in, in Hollywood. So I get the I get the fact yeah. that there's nothing, really, yeah. nothing going on. But um, to, to your point, what you're saying, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, Rob Palenka for, for the flack that he caught, especially that year that that uh, Magic Johnson was still around and obviously ended up stepping down, which was one of the most bizarre things I think I've seen in in uh in in recent history when it comes to the nba but you know for him he's not getting the credit too i mean to to take a championship roster and then not oversell and say well you know what rondo did pretty well in the playoffs let's bring him back 
And, you know, uh, we like what we saw from Dwight Howard, especially against Jokic in the Western Conference Final. Let, let's give him, reward him with a contract. He was like, hey, thank you for your services. Y'all are done. Now we're going to upgrade and bring in Marc Gasol, like you mentioned, and, and, and Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder. So I, I think he deserves a lot of credit, but I, I'm with you. I think this Lakers team is just going to keep getting better and better and better as the season wears on. And, and that's, that's scary news for not only the Western Conference, but the rest of the NBA, because you look at it, their point differential, they're, they're second overall in the league behind the Bucs. Uh, defensively, they're, they're the best team in the league. And, and when you have Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and the shooters that they have around them, and you're playing that good of defense, that, that's a recipe for an, another championship coming up. Uh, I do want to jump into a couple more things. Let's do that after a short break. All right, and we are back. Uh, George, we're talking on, on how good the Lakers are, are looking so far. And I, I want to be brief on this one, but Taylor Horton Tucker, um, if he was playing on the Lakers before LeBron came, and let's say he was doing what he was doing when it was Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, and, and Lonzo Ball, uh, people would be thinking that THT is like the second coming of Michael Jordan, but for a second round pick and how, how well he's playing, um, what, what do you see as his, do you see him kind of progressing into being, I, I don't want to put the pressure and say, oh, he's going to be an all-star level player, but when you're looking at him, what, what do you think his, his ceiling could be in the NBA right now? He, I know he's still very young into his career, but he's obviously shown a ton of potential as well. Man, I, I don't know if we've seen anything like him. Um, you know, he's 6'4", built like a truck at like 230 pounds and the wingspan of a seven-footer. Like, I, I can't recall, at least off the top of my head, right, like someone that even looks like him because I've seen guys with crazy wingspans who are, uh, you know, guards or, uh, you know, sw swing players or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, and, and wingmen, but like, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone built kind of like him, um, at least not off the top of my head. I, I guess, you know, there was a guy back in the, in the nineties and early two thousands named Chris Gatling, but he was more of a power forward. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like yeah. um, he had, but he did have kind of those long extremities. Right. And like, um, and he was also um, a guy whose game was super well-rounded. Now I think Horton Tucker is way more athletic than Gatling was. Again, Gatling was a bigger dude, like playing power forward in the nineties and the early two thousands. Um, you just, you, you're, you gotta be a big guy, you know? Yeah. Um, but you know, look, Horton Tucker went to one of the greatest high school basketball schools in the country at Simeon. You know what I mean? Like, like he won three state, state championships in a, a, a or city championships in a town that's like basketball crazy when it comes to high school. Okay, think about just historically the guys that have come out of there. Obviously, AD on the Lakers. You know, Dwayne Wade, Isaiah Thomas, Antoine Walker. Like, there's you know, Quentin Richardson. There's a ton of guys historically that have come out of that town. Um, and there is this kind of close-knit thing with the Chicago guys um, that I think Horton Tucker really understands. And he's, he's a historian of the game, um, whether it's his city and just kind of in general in the limited interactions that I've had with him. Like, he's just a really, really sharp kid you know um well wiser than his years would say um and his game is is still a work in progress um i think that you know he's out there very much with a chip on his shoulder he probably would have been drafted higher had it not been uh, injury issues in college you know what i mean like he i remember hearing a story about him in the g league and him telling 
someone in the G League, I want to say Tony Allen told me this story because I just interviewed him for a story I'm doing on Kobe Bryant's 81-point game that's going to come out on January 22nd. There you go. There's a plug, actually. Now I'm glad I was able to put that in there. Um, It's going to be on ESPN.com. Um, I, 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 if you give me a few minutes at the end, I'll talk about that. Just kind of give your audience uh, some, some insight on that. But he talked to me about Taylor Horn Tucker and he said he saw him in the G League. Um, and he said that he said to him, man, I don't belong here. Like, I, I, I'm not, I don't belong here with these dudes. Like, I'm better than these dudes or something to that effect. Damn, yeah. And he's right. You know what I mean? Like, he was right. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know what he is. Like, I don't want to put a ceiling on it because I don't know. Like, I know that everyone likes to put comps on things, but I don't think there's like a tidy, neat comp for him. Uh, I think the sky's the limit because of his skill set. Um, I do think because he's trying to get his own a lot, I think the one thing, and this comes with age too, you know what I mean? Um, because of that chip on his shoulder, like he's trying to get his own. And I don't think he's looking for teammates as much as maybe one would like, but man, that comes with time and experience and just understanding the game. And he's still a baby. So I I'm really, really high on him. Like I, I think that the Lakers should be considered with the heat and the Raptors and the Spurs, as far as a developmental team. Like if you look at those teams that I just mentioned, Man, a lot of the guys in their rotation are guys that they found either out of nowhere, right, in the G League, um, they drafted, right, and, and they're contributing to their team. Now, granted, look, in the NBA, there's going to be a lot of guys that you add via free agency or whatever or, you know, trades, et cetera, et cetera. But you still need to supplement your roster with guys that you find um, because of the salary cap. So, I, I do think that the Lakers don't get enough credit. Um, you know, the, uh, I think it's uh, Jesse bus, right. Who uh, is the, the, the gentleman who manages the G yeah. league team. Do I have that right? Cause I know it's yeah. Joey and Jesse, but I think it's Jesse uh, who's part of the scouting group with the Lakers and obviously oversees the G league team. I think that, that the Lakers should be put in that conversation with the other three that I mentioned that are always held up as the teams that develop talent, which are the heat, the Spurs and the Raptors, like they deserve that. And Talon is another product of that. Well, and you mentioned, because uh, I love watching Chris Gatling play. He was a lefty, like you mentioned, he was built like a, had a, had a weird build, but like rangy. And, and that's what I feel like when I watch THT play, it's like, he's not blowing you away with his athleticism, but it's just kind of silky smooth and smart. And I love watching the way he is able to, like, he's, it looks like he's going to, like his man's going to stay with him the entire time. And then he manages to get some separation and, and get up a shot. So I, I'm with you. I'm excited to see what he develops into. And I, I don't like making the, the comparisons either. I, th- I think that's a, that's a dumb thing because the NBA is going to be changing and evolving. And, and we've seen how much the game has changed, especially over the last, uh, last, you know, t- 10 years, let's say with the, with the spacing and, and the three balls uh, wanted to jump into, cause you did mention this as well, while we were talking about the Lakers being, being the championship and, and winning a championship uh, the James Harden trade obviously went down on, on Wednesday. He, he's headed to the Brooklyn Nets joining Kevin Durant and who knows what's happening with Kyrie Irving. But do you think that puts them ahead of the bucks in the Eastern conference pecking order? Or do you think that is going to be a team where, and especially with Steve Nash, I know he's got, you know, Mike D'Antoni and, and other proven uh, veteran coaches there with him. And, and from what I've, again, these are just reports that I've read, nothing, nothing confirming that, but, you know, apparently Kyrie had some issues with, with them hiring Steve Nash. How do you think that whole situation is going to play out? Yeah. So listen, I just got into the stock market over the last couple of years. Um, 
And the one thing, and you know, it's crazy that at this stage of my life, it's something I got into, but I think it just kind of um, took over for my, uh, my sports gambling fix because I felt like the <laughs> dividends uh, were better in the stock market. But nonetheless, much well, I'm like sure the white's happy about that, right, George? So <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. Uh, these, nonetheless, both extremely volatile at times, no matter if you have a blue chip company stock or not. Um, some things are out of your control, even as great as those stocks will be. And I think that's the Nets. You know what I mean? Like I look at the Nets and I say to myself, good God, they got a lot of talent. And I said this on Around the Horn yesterday uh, or on Wednesday when it, the trade happened, which was they're the best team in the Eastern Conference. Um, but it's going to be messy because this notion of, well, you know, there's not enough balls to go around. It's probably more apt in this particular situation than in previous situations. So, you know, for those that are listening that may not know my background, like, you know, I was in Miami covering LeBron, Wade, and Bosch. And I remember how that thing went. Um, now, granted, I don't think this will be that in regards to coverage <laughs> um, because that the coverage like of, of that team will never be, I don't think we'll ever see that again, to be honest with you. Um, just the, the vitriolic nature of it. Um, but I do think that even there you had questions about, can this work? You know, LeBron and Wade, there's a lot of duplication, right? In regards to the way they play. Now you got three guys with a lot of duplication. So I do think there will be some moments um, for Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni, who is the lead assistant there, um, and Jacques Vaughn, who is, uh, you know, one of the other lead assistants there, uh, trying to figure out how to make all that work. Because in these big threes, somebody has to take a little bit of a backseat. Someone has to sacrifice. And it's not going to be Kevin Durant. He's by far the best player. Like, I don't even think that's a discussion. Um, you know, and James Harden is better than Kyrie. Is Kyrie going to be the guy that's going to sacrifice? Like, there's no Chris Bosh here. Uh, even though those, all three of those guys, to a, a, an extent, LeBron, Wade, and Bosh, all did sacrifice. Um, but Chris sacrificed the most, and there was no question. But again, he wasn't a guy who needed the ball in his hands all the time. These are three guys who need the ball in their hand. Despite all that, I still firmly believe um, that this is a superstar league and you win with superstars and the team with most talent wins. Um, I think they're going to win the East. I think it's going to be bumpy. I think it's going to be fun for NBA fans to kind of chronicle and follow. They're going to be very polarizing in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think they're better than the Lakers. I don't even know if they're better than the Clippers if they face them in a series, but um, I, I do think that they will make things interesting for sure. And I don't think at the moment there's a team in the East that's built to beat them. I think that the teams that would be trying to catch them, Boston, you know, look, they have, they, Boston could, if their defense um, comes up big, I think Miami, maybe if they're, you know, it, they, they could use one more player, I feel like, and it doesn't even need to be a star, um, but I think the teams that could potentially derail Brooklyn are teams that could defend at a really high level. And I look at Boston and Miami as two of those teams. I think Milwaukee is capable, but I, I'm, I'm just down on Milwaukee because as much as I love Giannis as a person, I just think that he, he's got holes in his offensive game. And so those things get fixed. Um, you can scheme him. And, you know, we've seen that now two years in a row. So I still think the Nets are the team to beat in the East, but man, is it going to be a bumpy ride for sure.
Oh, it's going to be, and I, you know, like you were talking about, I think just from a coverage standpoint and, and from just being a basketball fan, I'm looking forward to seeing a, how the drama plays out because like you mentioned with Kyrie, uh, who knows what he's going to be thinking. He hasn't obviously been the easiest guy to deal with. We saw him one out of Cleveland because he maybe felt he was in LeBron shadow and, and, you know, there might've been some other things that play there. Then you saw him go to Boston. Then he was like, I want to go to Brooklyn and be happy. And, and I, I don't know how that's going to play out, but I, I'm with you. I think it's going to be an interesting experiment. They don't have a ton of time in terms of practices and, and, you know, having the, the, the extra time for, for shoot arounds and whatever to kind of go through little, little bumps and bruises that they are going to have. But I do want to see how this all plays out. Um, wanted to almost wrap up with this, but just talking about your experience now, you know, we're mentioning you're, you're a do-it-all guy for, for ESPN. You, you have your radio show with LZ on ESPN LA 710. Uh, come on around the horn. You're, you're doing your sideline reporting. What, what has it been like being a media member uh, and, and, you know, being in empty arenas and, you know, having to stay 10 feet away when you're, when you're interviewing someone and, and doing the, the, the zoom stuff, how, how has that been for you personally? And, and, and are you looking forward to it getting back to normal or are you just kind of like, well, I'm kind of making this work because I'm getting more time at home or, or whatever it is. I think it's a combination of all of that. Right. Um, I, I have two children, six and two. I will never get that time back in those formative years. So there is that to look forward to first and foremost, uh, despite all the challenges that are presented with all of us dealing with a world uh, of COVID. I am unbelievably blessed to have the job that I have and have the flexibility that I have. I understand there are plenty of people that do not. Um, so I, I try to look at it half, uh, the glass half full, right? Like that's the approach that I, I try to take. Um, in regards to what we are dealing with from a purely media standpoint and perspective, yeah, there's challenges. It's, it's, you know, um, let's start with obviously what I discussed earlier, right? Which is there is, uh, if I have to get into an NBA arena, if I have to do a game, you know, ESPN has been really good about um, getting us uh, hooked up with a company in a lab that will expedite uh, home tests for us. And we send them back and they get the results back with us, you know, within a day or so. Um, that way we can then be allowed to get into the arenas, et cetera, et cetera, if we have a negative test. Um, so I, I think from that regard, certainly that's, that's different. <laughs> I don't think there's any question about that. Um, you know, it's just, you know, you got to make sure to, you know, in between trying to get my six-year-old on zoom for her first grade class, <laughs> you know, I got to make sure I take those rapid tests or whatnot. Um, I think that the, what we're missing from a media perspective with the NBA, and again, this is just the situation we're dealt with is the personal interaction, right? So um, a lot of times, whether it's myself or other reporters, you know, you have these personal interactions with people at the arena um, and you talk to them and you catch them on the side and you talk to them about not just stuff about, you know, their team, but stuff about that's going on around the league. Right. And get their thoughts on on what's happening you know, elsewhere, get their thoughts on things going on in the world. Right. Like just having normal, friendly interactions beyond just the workplace. And I think that, you know, certainly that has changed stuff. And, and I'm not alone on that. Like I've talked to other reporters, like I called a couple of guys over the last couple of weeks as I've done games and I've just been like, Hey, so, you know, how does this guy feel? And this that, and they're like, dude, you know, I, I really haven't had that many interactions with them, the occasional text um, because everything's done through zoom. So you lose kind of that personal touch on the reporting side. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's going to help people that have, um, the ability 
to connect with people outside of the basketball realm uh, a little bit. But even then, right, it's just hard. Everyone's got lives. Everyone's on the move. It's not always as easy to connect with people. And the arena was always that place where it was easy. Um, so I think from that regard, it's a little more challenging for sure. But, you know, look, man, we'll make it through. Um, I think that it's, it's, it's something that, as you said earlier, right, there's light at the end of the tunnel, and hopefully all this stuff will get sorted out sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's, that's one thing I, I, I miss, too. You know, I was uh, before, right before the pandemic hit, man, it feels, it's almost a year ago now. <laughs> that's crazy to me. But uh, I was covering the, the Clippers and, and the Bucks games at, at, uh, against the Lakers, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm looking forward to being back in the arena and just kind of getting the atmosphere and, and feeling that like when, when you're in the empty, empty thing there and, there and there's no, no fans around, how much of a difference is it in terms of the energy level in the building? Oh, it's night and day. Uh, I mean, it's, it, that is the tough part, right? Like there were moments that I've been at games, uh, you know, I'll take the game on Wednesday, right. Where, you know, Brandon Ingram or Kawhi or Paul George or this youngster, Nikhil Alexander, uh, Walker, right. Canadian, you know, like that's yourself, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, balling out. Right. And that in a normal NBA situation, when that kid is going off for whatever it was, 36, 37 points, the crowd, even though he, they're the opposing crowd is, is, is reacting, is emoting. It's like, Whoa. And look, I was still doing it, you know, like, as I'm watching, like, good God, how do you hit that one? You know what I mean? But it's not the same when there's not a collection of people doing it. There is, um, you know, moments during the game. I would say the first three quarters specifically um, are way different, right? At the end of any game, um, you're going to get into it if it's a close game. Like, that's just the reality of the situation. Like, I just think as someone who's a fan of a particular sport, you're going to get into it. Um, but yeah, like that, the fans are sorely missed, man. The fans are the backbone of all of this. So it is absolutely important um, for us at some point, hopefully again, sooner rather than later that we get them back because yeah, it, it is, it, it's a vacuum for sure. There, there's, there's a big gaping hole there without the fans. And, and just quickly, do, do you anticipate fans being back in the building by playoffs if, if the vaccine rollout goes, goes well across the nation? I think it's a possibility. I, I don't want to say for sure because, man, we've thought a lot of things would have happened by now and, not, you know, and that hasn't been the case. So um, <laughs> I, 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 think that they're, I think they're hopeful, right? Like I think the league is hopeful that that would be the case. Well, it's funny you're saying that because I remember when when the pandemic first hit, you know, going back to maybe what mid March or March 20th of last year, I was like, eh, we should be good by June, July, and and we saw how that turned out. So I'm not I'm not going to make any bets right now. Uh, before we wrap up, George, you were mentioning earlier uh, in the podcast about a story you're working on on Kobe's 81 point game. It's going to be featured on ESPN.com, and and you had mentioned you were talking with former NBA player Tony Allen. Uh, what, what when can we see that? And and what's kind of the the without giving away too much? Uh, what are we looking for in, in regard to that? Um, that piece that you're putting together so because january 22nd is the anniversary of the 81 point game on that day on espn.com um we're gonna release um a story i wrote um where i interviewed a bunch of the guys i mean i shouldn't say a bunch several of the guys that um directly were involved with you know, a link to Kobe, right, is the way I would describe it in regards to having to guard him, right? So Tony Allen, we all know Kobe said was the toughest defender he ever faced. So I needed to get Tony Allen on, on Zoom. And we spoke for like 30 plus minutes, just about everything that went into his on-court dealings 
guarding Kobe Bryant. And he gave me some great details. And, and look, you, you know this, you write, like it's, it was tough, man, to let go of some of these quotes. Like when you got to fit this into 2000 words, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. there was so many details that did not get into the story. So what we've done is we're creating a video. Um, each one of them, uh, each one of the interviews I did, it was Tony Allen, Shane Battier, Jalen Rose, uh, and Meta World Peace. Um, Meta obviously has the experience of being both opponent and teammate. Um, Jalen obviously was uh, a guy who competed against Kobe in the 2000 finals and on the uh, night of the 81 point game. Um, Shane, um, you know, Kobe dedicated uh, a page or two in his Mamba Mentality book to Shane and kind of the mental games that they would play. Uh, Shane faced him more than anyone. I believe it was 37 times, if I recall correctly. Um, so those four guys to me were unbelievably important to talk to when trying to discuss the difficulty of trying to guard Kobe Bryant. Um, and they all did such a good job of explaining kind of the mindset, not only that they had, um, but that they saw from Kobe as they were competing against him, one of the greatest competitors um, in sports history. Well, that's going to be, yeah, I'm, I think I'm looking forward to it. I know personally, and I think, uh, you know, a ton of people that that's going to be a, a cool thing to see. Cause you know, for us, I, I think, you know, growing up and I'm in my mid thirties and, and seeing Kobe and, and kind of being around the same age as him and, and growing up, I mean, and starting off the year last year with that news, I think a lot of people are looking forward to maybe getting our mind off things and, and being able to revisit some of the good things about what Kobe bought, not only to the NBA, but particularly the, the city of Los Angeles. Uh, George, I want to thank you for doing this again. Don't forget, you guys can catch George on uh, ESPN LA, the afternoon drive with uh, LZ Granderson. And put, put your TV on and, and tune to ESPN, and you, you, there's a good chance you're going to see George on the channel at some point. Am I right? Yes, sir, man. Yes, sir. <laughs> Happy to do it. Happy to work, you know? All right. That does it for, uh, for this episode. Don't forget, uh, before we wrap things up, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you get your, your podcast fix. And, of course, check out silverscreenandroll.com throughout the season. Harrison, Christian, Sabrina, the entire crew there have got you covered. Uh, that does it again for this episode. Like George mentioned, he'll be he'll be covering the Lakers-Pelicans game happening Friday at the Staples Center. And I'll talk to you all next week.